You're listening to the World Football Program with all the latest updates from both local and international football. WA. This is the World Football Programme and I'm Sean Kelly. Thanks to Frank and Jerry for another wonderful Celtic rambles. Um, yeah, the boys love to ramble and uh, they do it so well. Uh, joining me in the studio today is Peter Skeeler. Good morning, Peter. How are you? Very well, Sean. How are you going? Yeah, terrific. I saw on Facebook, uh, 20 years of marriage, mate. Well done. That's right. Thank you. All have got less for murder. Yeah, well, I'm coming up on 39, so in a fortnight, and uh, yeah, that's two life sentences, son. (laughs) (laughs) Um, On the show today, we've got a a, a good show coming through. We've got uh, John O'Reilly from Armadale, and we'll see how Armadale are coping throughout this crisis. Um, We're going to talk to the MLA McMurray, who is the Minister for the Aged Senior, or Seniors, the Aged Volunteers, Sport and Recreation, and um, you know, it sounds like it's a a pretty feel-good portfolio in most normal times, but right now um i can't think of a portfolio other than health that's been more severely affected by by the crisis and one that's probably integral to how we go forward from here um, because volunteers and uh, the reconnection of sport will be massive in the next few months Um, then we'll talk to derek pollock and derek's going to run through some of the issues over in europe a number of leagues are still up in the air some of them have been closed off Um, champions league Europa, um, what happens to lower division clubs, you know, yep. there's so much going on. There's, you know, if you look at last year, um, Blackburn and, and I think um, Bradford, maybe there was two, there were two clubs that were right on the brink of bankruptcy. Yep. Um, all of those clubs in Division 1 and 2 are struggling. They would be, yeah. And, you know, this is not going to help. And British football may look very different after this, but not just British football, Spanish football, Italian football. Um, and we'll see how that goes. And then we're going to follow up afterwards with a, a bit of um, 
feedback from the, the listeners. So if you've got any questions you want asked or want to ask us, um, get on the Facebook page and, and start dropping those in. Things we're interested in is how are you getting through this? What sort of things are you doing to, to get yourself through the, the, the corona crisis? Are you listening to music? Are you watching videos? We've got some docos and uh, a whole list of docos and, and movies that you probably haven't watched in a while, some classics in there and yeah. some that you probably hadn't heard of. But, you know, we'll go through those. Um, some, some pretty good watches. If you want to binge watch a couple of documentary series, there's a, there's a couple of crackers there. Um, so anything you're doing to get through and how you're connecting with your community, they're the sorts of things we're looking for and we'll share those with us. Um Belarusia is the only league going. We'll follow up with, uh, with them later on in the programme. But uh, I'm glad to see that my team, Energetic, are still on top, unbeaten. So, you know, it was a good choice uh, to start off with. And Don't get too cocky because it's only three games in and uh, my guys are in second place. So may only, be three game, <laughs> may only be three games in, but who knows? The season may stop, champions. Well, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then we're going to have a look at um, some other things. But in big news, I saw yesterday was revealed how much EPL clubs owe in transfer fees. And it was quite an interesting list because um, it went... At the bottom of the list was Newcastle, actually £15.6 million in credit. Yep. So they may be at the lower end of the table, but at least they're financial. Um, you had clubs like um, Burnley, who was the lowest of the people that owed money, £5.3 million. Man City... Oh, 83.7 million, <laughs> which is mind-boggling. And then the, the, just above them, by a long way, was Man United, who owe £169 million. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> I'm surely someone... You know, what, what happens, they, they send a couple of big boys around, and while they go to, go to Solskjaer and go, <laughs> pie up, mate. <laughs> Where's your legs? <laughs> I'd love to see that. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but it's just... It's an astounding amount of money. Yeah. yeah. And now, when you look at what's happened with this this crisis that the entire world is going through, where are they going to get that money? No, exactly, exactly. There's um, obviously from the business side of things, not not just in football, but, you know... Payments have stopped for a lot of things. You know, we've had freezes on on uh, rents. You know, the government said, you know, you can't evict people, etc., like that. Yeah. Um, so when it starts, well, when everything starts back up again, um, I don't know. It's we literally don't know. I, I imagine they'll be almost unpredictable as to which clubs make it through and which clubs won't. Yeah, and that look, and that's worldwide. And the, you know, the, the yeah. thing is that you've got um, investors that are putting money in, and you know, there's a lot of big companies. We look at um, Virgin Atlantic or Virgin in general. Uh, any of the airline companies are struggling if they're yeah. if they've got to make a choice between putting planes in the air and sponsoring a football club, then their oh, business yeah, the business yeah, yeah. has to come first. And yeah. and there's so many of them. When when we get into this recovery stage. Um, across the country, whether it's the local butcher that sponsored the local football team or a huge yeah. international conglomerate, everyone's going to be in recovery phase. And, and I don't know how much money is going to be around to support football. In fact, it may even be, like you said, Newcastle were, so to speak, bottom of the table in terms of the money they owe because yeah. they, they're in credit. That may actually work against them if their creditors don't pay. Yeah. Um, you know, that may actually work the other way around. And Manchester United are like, well, we owe all this money and we'll take our time paying it back. Yep. Whereas Newcastle are the ones that, hey, everyone owes us money and oh, no one's it, paying us. It, it's, it's just it a, could actually spi work. a spider's web. What happens if they owe money to a club that's that's folds? And yeah. then, you know, that's, they just become part of a, a creditor's list. Yeah, yeah. exactly. 
So, <laughs> uh, other other little bit of good news yeah. for us uh, football fans is uh, ABC Grandstand ran the uh, oh, competition yes. for the best, yep. best trophy in world sport, which was won by the the A League's toilet seat. Um, glad to see everyone got on Facebook, Twitter, and whatever the other one is, Instagram, to vote for it. Um, we beat the the Ashes urn in the in the grand final, so I was happy to see that. I understand the the Ashes has a lot of history to it and and so forth, but as a non-cricketing person, it's the same two teams playing every time and just doesn't interest me that much. <laughs> no, but I thought it was quite, quite interesting. When you look at the statistics, and I know you love your stats, <laughs> but, you know, the, the metrics on this are the, the toilet seat beat the AFL yep. in the first round. Yep. So the numbers, when you look at engagement back with the sport and engagement with the sport now, the numbers are good. Yes, we've yeah. we've Beaten off AFL, we've beaten off cricket. Yep. Um, yeah, I think it's it's massive, really, when you look at it. I know it's it's just a silly little phone in comp and what have you. Yeah, of course. But the end of the day is that those metrics can't can't be messed with. Well, at, at this point in in the footballing calendar, I'll take any silly little phone in comp I can for some good news. Um, Absolutely. The other thing is Twitter. Things have maybe normalised a little bit on social media these days. Certainly in the early days of Twitter. Uh, that was where you'd get your football results before yeah. before the big media companies, so to speak, had caught up with things. You know, the footballing footballing Twitter or soccer yeah. Twitter, as they call it, um, was around, and that that's where people were getting their results before people sort of twigged to to where it was coming from. You could get you know people in the grandstands tweeting out live oh, scores yeah. and things like yeah. that. And obviously nowadays, like in the last five years, it's everyone's caught up and everyone follows it, but. In the early days, it was almost a bit of an underground thing as to that. That's how you get your results. That's how you find out what's happening on the other side of the planet. And it's very much mainstream now. Exactly. Yeah, lots of agencies to find out the the news on the internet. And I think you know, when you look at what's happening right now, the internet's been the key way of of connecting with people. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we're going to go to a break. We'll be back after this with John O'Reilly. So we'll be back in a moment. Why do I keep doing that? That's just dumb, isn't it? Um, yeah, so we'll, we'll be back with John O'Reilly after these. Um, enjoy. Hi, I'm Rose, a junior trainee at Oswest Fencing and Wrought Iron. I am the fourth generation of our family business. Oswest Fencing is built on 50 years of experience creating unique fencing and gates and servicing the West Australian community. Let us help you secure and refurbish your home or business with customised materials and automation made to laugh. Ring us on 9258 6822 to discuss your ideas or visit our online galleries at auswestfencing.com.au That's A-U-S-W-E-S-T fencing.com.au Station Sponsor Are you considering data and software development? From a simple website to custom office automation software, phone Andy at DataPlatz on 0414 263 938. That's 0414 263 938. Station sponsor. You're listening to Radio Fremantle 107.9. And there we are back in the room. Um... Lots of things happening all over the place. The only thing that's not happening is actual football. True. And it uh, must suck to be a coach this time of the year. And we're going to find that out with John O'Reilly, who is the coach of Armadale. Good morning, John. How are you? Morning, Sean. How are we doing? Good, mate. How are you holding up through all this? 
Yeah, not too bad, mate. Not too bad. It's all going well. And and how's the club? You know, how are you you keeping in contact with your players? Um, are you doing any training over Zoom or anything like that? Well, I think when um, this all came about, originally we were given like I think about a three week, four week, it was a four week I think layoff. We we're told so four weeks you can keep you can keep the sort of like the interest level, the motivation pretty high. So we had like we say we had. Um, uh, a, a rigid program but what we had was we had the, a group chat with all the players on it and we set challenges whether it's a two day challenge or a five day challenge the idea being was the boys would go into competition with each other to either do a time trial or a distance trial or something like that so it kind of kept it kept everybody together and talking etc etc but then as soon as we it became obvious that we are probably looking at maybe a two month three month layoff it, it's very hard to set up a program, especially off the back of pre-season. Like we've literally just been doing pre-season from November, December, January. We've just got into a five-week pre-season tournament and then one game of football. It couldn't have come at a worse time, the, could it, really? <laughs> and then you say, do the boys, can you keep yourselves fit for the next two months, three months, just in case football starts again? So, you know, it, it's very difficult to then keep the motivation from that perspective. But what, what's been evident is we've, we've got a good good group of lads this year, the good um, togetherness and the challenges and, and the sort of like the um, the running is still happening. Lads are still comparing their times, comparing their distance. A couple of boys are kind of getting themselves actually involved in endurance stuff now. Like they've actually discovered they enjoy the running and they're now looking at how can they improve their endurance, stamina running. So it, it's good to see the boys are keeping fit, healthy, and communicating. That's the main thing for us at the moment. Yeah, it's keeping that interest going, and as you said, keep, keeping them fit is one thing, but it's just about time with the ball. You you know, there's the teamwork. you got to work with the, the drills. You, all your players are still um, signed up. No one's had to go back home or visas have been cancelled or anything like that. Well, that's, yeah, and at, at the moment things are fine, um, but obviously we do have two visa players, Um that are uh, connected to the club. Obviously, every week, every month that ticks by, then yes, that will have an impact later on down the track. Um, but again, we can't we can't be sure what impact it's going to have until we do see a light at the end of the tunnel. And at the moment, you know, yeah. kind of hoping for end of May, start of June. But that that's more of a hope than a, a guarantee. Well, I suppose when you look at the the backstory, the the minister's talking six months, but maybe a little bit earlier. Because uh, to be honest, most West Aussies are doing it well, and and the strategies he's put in place are, have been very effective. Um, but Football West were talking, and the FFA were talking about an April the fourteenth start. That's been delayed um, back into May. Yeah. I suppose if we if we go forward from that um, as a coach, what would be your your ideal preparation? I mean, you wouldn't want to just come back say, this weekend and then start playing next weekend. So you'd need some time to to work with the boys. How long do you reckon that would be? Well, look, I, I was chatting to um, one of the four West members. Um, unfortunately, was let go uh, because of all of this. Um, but prior to that happening, we were chatting and they mentioned that, like, there'd be potentially a three-week window prior to the season, prior to, like, back playing competitively. Yeah. Um, I think I think in regards to the fitness, like knowing my group of players, their fitness is there. Um, it's obviously just match fitness that they'd be lacking in. 
So I guess the preparation for us coming back would be getting back into our systems, our, our, our shape, um, possession, getting as many touches on the ball as possible. I think the fitness side would actually not be the concern. It would no. just be, you know, your, your, your team shape and, and, and what they can do on the ball, getting everybody's like match sharpness back up to speed as quick as possible. So I think that would be your main focus for the, for the three weeks if that's what we were given. Uh, which I think is fine because I think anything longer than that, and the boys will be sick of football. You know, and, hey guys, here's another six <laughs> six week preseason before we start again. <laughs> yeah, I think no. everybody would be be happy to kind of like uh, be a little bit off the mark and off the boil just to get kicking the ball again in competition. In competition you know, and so I suppose three weeks that, to me would be uh, a good time. Yeah, and I suppose looking at it, the at least the playing field would be even for everybody. Everyone's been in the same boat. Um, no one's been able to, to have clandestine training sessions, and if they are, they're running yeah. the risk of huge fines, etc. Yeah, I don't think there's been too much happening where an actual ball at feet with a group of people is, has been happening. I don't think any of the other clubs are, you know, in that position to be doing that. And I think it's mainly also not just it's against the like government laws at the moment, but also it's like when's it going to start? You know, it, it can't you can't just do sort of like position training and stuff like that for the next six yeah, eight weeks yeah. without any knowledge of when it's going to start. You know, so that, um, that's the thing I guess that's, that's killing everyone is just that that not knowing what happens next. It's, it's unprecedented to like oh, be in a position no. where you're preparing for the unknown yeah. yeah literally the unknown and i suppose that's the thing that no one really actually knows and it's very difficult as you said for for people just to to work out what's going on we've never been we've never been through this never come up with a plan there's no finite yeah. the season's done or it's not done or we'll have a, i mean the other thing is what sort of season will we have will we have a a half a round where we start up in june or july and we play one round that's it or do we try and double up i mean there's plenty of grounds particularly in the npl where you can play a game during the midweek so do you play a midweek game and a weekend game yeah look i think i think um it will all depend on what round we come in we come in um and what sort of ground availability there is um say for example a normal season lads finish around august september and the next thing they do is they play ethnic World Cup, they play local summer cups, they yeah. play seven aside, nine aside. They do that all the way up until January. Yeah. Um, so there's so there's no reason that up until sort of like what uh, July we could actually get a full season in. If we went from July to December, second week of December, you could actually probably get 22 rounds in without having to smash, you know, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesdays. Mm. You could probably squeeze it in or, or thereabouts. Um, but it just then comes down to who has pitch availability. Who, who like in the NPL, surely the majority of um, teams have access to their pitches um, without the council closing down. Maybe the council will accept that this is an unusual year, so they'll allow it to go ahead. But as soon as you then step down into the state leagues, amateur league, etc., it's then like you know, cricket needs to get played. Oh, cricket and T-ball, you know, I know when I was involved at Forestfield, yeah, T-ball, you know, you, you're out there any Saturday and the T-ball was up till lunchtime after October, November. So hard when you've got so that's, to that's share then, a ground. And that's then where the time will make the dip, will make the decision for us. Because yeah. from a Football West perspective where their income is based on us playing football, they'd obviously want us to play uh, a full season from you know, say July to December, because then that's that's their, that's their uh, revenue. 
Absolutely. I, it's, I, it's not yeah, just football, Westside, John, is it? The clubs, the clubs rely on the football. Yeah. The the parents yeah, have, and the players themselves have paid out for fees for a full season. So, wherever wherever yeah. we can and however we make it happen, a full season would be would be the ideal. Yeah, and you have also other other aspects as well. You have got like suppliers, and you've also got like sponsors, uh, etc. There's like so many that you don't really realise it until something like this happens. No. Everything has a, a domino effect. And I suppose um, when, when you look at it, the, when this all came in, it was graduated. First off, there was no competition, but we mm. could train. Then very quickly, there was no training. Um, and when we go back, will we go back to being able to train but not play games? Then when we do play games, and particularly for the, the State League and the NPL, will we be allowed to have spectators? Because mm. that's a huge part of, of the income for, for those clubs as well. Exactly, yeah, and if, if it's only like playing but without spectators, then that can be a problem for clubs that obviously have wage bills. For amateurs and, and social football, it's not an issue, um, but obviously for clubs that, that have a wage bill and rely on money coming into the club, then, you know... Well, it's those, those barring, barring canteen, massive. Yeah. Yeah, of course, and even just the paying of referees or match day with the, the, the cost of coming through the, through the gates, etc., you know, so it, it, it's hard to see what the, the landscape is going to be in the future, uh, or what's acceptable, um, or even even from a player's perspective. You know, like if what would happen if you you know it'd be interesting to speak to players and say, if we don't have sponsors and it's got to be played behind closed doors, would you still expect wages? You know, like would you still expect full pay, etc.? Because yeah. I guess at that stage it gets to, yes, we all get paid like at the NPL level for doing what we do but at the end of the day we are all still passionate about football uh, and wanting to play it or be involved in it so it's kind of like you know well I suppose you go a whole year yeah. not playing football purely based on you're not going to get some money out of it you know would, would players coaches etc be interested in doing it it's a, no real, through and, and it's a real moral question, though, isn't it, John? You know, you, you're going to ask people for, for their morality. Are you playing sport for the benefit of playing sport or are you interested in just the money? Mm. And when you look at it, mm. when, when we're allowed to start going back to sport, whenever that may be, and whether it's this season or whether yeah. it's next season, um, a lot of those companies that were sponsors are going to be in recovery mode. Will they have the the will or the ability to to sponsor a club as well. Yeah, yeah. Again, this is all, all the unknown. It's it's um, some unprecedented waters. <laughs> we, yeah. we haven't been in this drama before. You know, there's been times where there's been recessions or depressions or whatever, and mm. and and you know, the football's always <laughs> survived. So I, I don't think the actual game will ever. Uh, be beaten down, but no. it will come to the, the in, a, in a year's time. It will come to a question of you know what financial position our clubs in. Absolutely. Uh, in this also hurts the clubs. I mean, there's been lots of talk about refunds, etc. And a lot of clubs, right at the start of the season when it all happened, are in a, a cash poor situation. They've shelled out for kit and balls and other training equipment. All their fees normally get paid up front. Yeah. Um, and I suppose then, when you look at Armadale being a huge club as they are, you've you've got a, a, a large group of juniors. And I suppose getting the juniors back on and and playing would be be the easiest thing of all because you all you really got to do is say right, we're back in two weeks, 
get them out for a couple of training sessions and, and get the kids running just just for that engagement with the club and you know obviously for kids they're, they're as bored as hell right now but that'd be great yeah. to get the kids back out back out playing yeah and I think look, as I said with Football West it's their, it's their revenue to get get football played and, and as we've both been alluding to it's, it's just exactly the same for clubs you know if you're, if you're a salesperson and someone says you've got to close your shop and they say you can open it in September you're going to go oh, don't worry I'll wait till 21 or you're going to do it straight away and try and recapture your sales or get your business back up and running so we're all in the same boat you know if there's a piece of grass and kids can kick a ball on it and we're allowed to do it then it's going to happen you know it's only going to be natural that that's going to be the process. Absolutely. And look, I think getting the kids back playing would be the, the easiest of, of all yeah. uh, the, the capacities because they just need the grass and a ball <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> let, them, let them have at it. But, you know, the, as you said before, it's not a, a massive thing like the State League or the NPL where you need to have all these other officials and a gate and crowds and, you know, the, the crowd for a children's game is just usually the kids. And the parents. Yeah, well, and think, the parents, um, yeah. I think, I think obviously one of the most interesting things and we'll see it as, as we do unfold and go forward is, is that cost factor. Yep. You know, like we say for football, like, you know, the football becomes available and we all get back playing football but every household will be impacted by what is what is happening or what will have happened by then. Yep. Um, you know, with regards to people's income, their jobs, security, uh, their finances. So, yep could find ourselves in a position where, you know, those 24 teams of, of MPL juniors paying two grand a pop, that might not be feasible anymore. And then all of a sudden it's kind of like, okay, well, do the, does the MPL clubs drop their prices? Does the government body drop their prices? But the kids start looking at other sports like AFL, yeah. or looking at yeah. you know, something that's just like, here's a surfboard, go surfing every Saturday morning. Oh, it's you you know, you... like, what's going what's gonna to happen there? That, that's going to be the... Like very impacting factor. It's an interesting question because I think you know people have asked to be transparent with what the fees are, and if your if your MPL fees are up over the eight hundred to a thousand dollar range, um, what are they what are they getting back? If you're getting a mum and dad coach, then you're going to go well. Yeah. Where's that money going? Yeah. Yeah. If you've got a professional coach and you've got a professional setup, and it's clearly mandated within there where this money's going, and the parents can see that they're getting their, their money's worth, they find the money. But, you know, it's it, if you're using it to fund your first team, then that's going to be very difficult. And then again, as you said, we'll touch back into the the um, the, the players and what the players are prepared to do. Yeah, exactly. No, I totally agree. And, <laughs> you know, it, it all comes down to how long this is going to take before it unfolds. Yeah. Um, and we see the full extent of, of what happens and what we can, we can do going forward. Absolutely. Of, you know, we'd like we'd like to do this, we'd like to do that, but we a question of what can we do going forward after after these events finish. Yeah, I suppose you, you spoke a little bit about, you know, if you're a salesman and, and you your business is, is affected. Mm. Um that is the position that you're in. Your your main um, company, parent company, Macron, based in Bologna, northern northern Italy, which has been absolutely smashed um, with with the major manufacturing side of it through China. So, um, how are Macron going with with all of the the stuff that's going on in Italy, China, and here? Well, it's, it's actually quite an interesting um, what's happened over there. Uh, obviously, like with been the major affected. Um, we thought it was all going to close down. Um, we were actually receiving deliveries up until probably about two weeks ago. Um, mm. <laughs> the only thing that stopped is nobody is now placing orders. 
Mm. Uh, mm. Nobody needs a new football kit during COVID-19. You know, no. So unfortunately, that sort of thing has slowed right down. Um, with regards to Macron in Italy um, company, and this is, this is really impressive what the uh, what the brand which the, the, the company owners have decided to do, is they basically have factories in Italy and China that are sitting there idle at the moment because nobody wants soccer clothing. Mm. So what mm. they've done is they've actually started a, a non-for-profit project um, where they're now actually producing PPE clothing, okay. so personal protective uh, equipment. Fantastic. Uh, they're, actually making, they're actually making face masks, um, gowns, gloves. They're actually making two levels of face masks, just the general, the general one, which, which fits uh, obviously government criteria, but they're also doing surgical masks and that for their doctors. So since... That actually started, uh, operations of that actually started about two weeks ago. And from the moment they decided to do it, within 10 days, they actually created uh, about eight, I think it was about eight million pieces. Yep. And they're, they're out the door now and delivered into Italy, into the into the, the healthcare system. Um, after the first 10 days of production, they're now producing about 10 to 12 million pieces per week. Once, obviously, they have Italy um, fully, fully looked after, they're then pushing that out nationally and globally uh, into, into Europe and into, across the world. Yeah. So, so from a company p- perspective, um, you know, they could have sat there twiddling their thumbs going, we're, we're screwed. But they've actually been very innovative and productive and, uh, and joined the fight. And, yeah. Uh, it's, great to, it's great to see an Italian company jump on board the needs of the country and then as soon as they've looked after their own, they're then going to branch out and look after anyone else that they can. And the magnificent so, thing is they keep their employees engaged. They're yeah. obviously geared up yeah. to make clothing. So, yeah. you know, to, yeah. to switch yeah. to making PPE is not a big switch, but it's a, it's a very important switch that keeps them, yeah. you know, turning over, which is the important thing. Um, I think it's the adaptability. It's yeah. great to see the adaptability from making a soccer shirt into them, making, a, you know, sort of like clinical-grade uh, clothing um, save help save lives. Um, it's an amazing job the yeah. effort that they've done and like I said it's non profit so they're not doing this to capture recapture sales or recapture lost sales they're doing it to just help beat the cause yep. and then the rest of us can get on with business once uh, once everything's back under control now I would imagine locally that most of the the state league NPL um, and Premier League clubs that would be um buying kit had already placed orders and from what you're saying all of those has arrived and filled in it's only those latecomers that you know decide the, the last minute to, to commit that haven't um, so for you as a, a local business um, pretty much right or you yeah like for me at the moment it, it, I'm, I'm still working on some jobs um, so I've spoken to most most of my customers and, and a lot of them at the end of the day what they've bought it's not it's not perishable goods you know it's, it's going to get used yep. Um, yep. what it will do it'll probably just have a bit of a bottleneck effect where next year they don't need a set of brand new kits because they're going to use this year's brand new set of kits yeah and on you the know. plus side for you is that you know you've you've got instead of spending till midnight putting numbers on the backs of shirts you've been able to do that during <laughs> the normal working hours <laughs> yes it is it is uh, I think all round is a very relaxing time I was saying I was chatting to my assistant coach there the other day about know how you're getting on blah blah and I said, you know, it's what it feels like it feels like end of season but without the stress of having to make 2,000 phone calls to players begging yeah. them to uh, 
<laughs> to consider coming to join us. Absolutely. So what it is, it's nice to actually have uh, a, a roster of players all committed, literally just waiting to play football. So yeah. it, it's nice that uh, I'm, I'm having a break, but I'm not smashing my phone bill. Yeah. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Um, and what are you doing? I mean, obviously, we're, we're all catching up on some old movies or some documentaries. <laughs> have, have you binge-watched Sunderland Till I Die or something like that? No, well, look, I, I initially started off watching all the movies, as you do, um, banging through releases or, or some of the old classics, etc. But um, I thought I'd try and educate myself a little bit, so I've just been trying to watch more documentaries, historical documentaries, stuff like that, trying to get a bit, smash a bit of education in my head. <laughs> yeah. So I'm trying to learn, I'm trying to learn things whilst I'm uh, holed up. All right, mate. Look, um Trivia what you're doing, and trivia what Macron are doing. I, I had no idea they were helping out on that scale. Um, you know, it just shows that b- big business can commit to the community, which is yep. excellent. Um, and I know once that everything comes back to normal, you'll be you'll be riding the crest of a wave. Oh, look, well, as soon as we get back to normal, mate, I'll be just doing business like like always. Um, I think with this, this coming year, I was, I was trying to break out into some other sports, other areas, but we touch base in like the world and uh, AFL uh, could be looking like something comes on board 2021 and a few other things in the pipeline so yeah look, I'm just I'm just itching to get back to football get back to work and uh, carry on as per normal no worries John thank you very much for your time this morning no worries cheers guys thanks a lot thank, thank you John. take it easy boy John O'Reilly, coach of Armadale, and um, obviously local business owner with uh, Macron, um, supplier of kits to a lot of the local clubs, yep. but I had no idea the parent company were doing what they were doing in Italy. It's good to see, and um, as you say, uh, big business, I mean, they're still a part of the community, and it's good to see them step up uh, with the PPE production. Absolutely it is. Yeah, no, I think, um, you know, more companies have been doing that. Um, you know, I saw the other day that... Um, Dyson, the vacuum cleaner man- yeah. manufacturers, they were um, switching their production to build respirators. Okay, they've already gone out into the English system. Yep, and reports coming back other oh, patients are picking up nicely. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't oh, help geez. myself. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, I've got nothing for that one. <laughs> <laughs> No, well, it's you know it's the humour that gets us through, isn't yeah, it? You know, true. in a crisis, and I think you know, look, it's great that companies like Dyson and Macron and that are getting on board the recovery process, and it is an, it is all jokes aside a very important part of what goes on out there and and how people can commit to the community. And I know locally, lots of other people have done it. Um, when we talk to um, Mick Murray, there's the um, the stadium, um, Optus Stadium, yep. had a whole heap of stuff that in their freezers and cool rooms that was ready for, for distribution in the games that they've distributed out to um, government, ag- not government agencies, but to non- not-for-profit organisations as yep. food packages yep. and things like that. So great to see that going back in. And I noticed a lot of other businesses that had fr- fridges and freezers full of food yep. have been able to do that as well. So, you know, everyone in their own little way has been contributing to the crisis and, and trying to get us all through it. Yeah, I... So far, so good, you know, from, from that side of things. So um, long may it continue. Now, Belarusia. Belar- <laughs> right. Uh, I've actually uh, put a link on our Facebook page to the official... I had I had been looking for um, 
a sort of a highlights page and apparently the Belarusian Football Federation actually has live uh, feeds of the games as well as highlights packages. Uh, so if you're interested in seeing some live football, um, notwithstanding the comment about whether or not we should be encouraging them. Thank you, Ian and Dennis. <laughs> um, but if, if you are looking for some live football, that's it's on our Facebook page now. You can go there and see the games. I'm I'm assuming being in Eastern Europe, you're probably looking at you know later in the evenings for our games, but not not sort of four a.m. or anything. But you know, if you're ten o'clock thereabouts, there'll probably yeah. be a live stream. But uh, your boys, yes, energetic, energetic, top of the table. Um, and, you know, the fixtures today, Energetic, are away to Torpedo Bell AZ, uh, who are sitting sixth place, so it's not necessarily going to be an easy win for your boys. No, never never easy. <laughs> and and if all goes well, uh, FC Slutsk, who are home against Vitebsk, um, who are currently, uh, they're sitting second, and hopefully I they might be able to jump up. Everybody's favourite. I think lot, at least everybody's second favourite. A lot of so. questions I've had is, do they have a girls team? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well, there's, there's, you know. Um, so, did you want to go through the results? Yeah, or, go on yeah, then. Yeah. Why not? Then? So, um, last week's results, when the page refreshes. All right. Last week's results. Oh, in fact, we've already had a game this week. So, Nedman Grono uh, drew one all with Belshnia. So, both of those teams are... Uh, oh, Belshnia, bottom of the table. That was actually their first point they've picked up. And uh, Nedman Grono are uh, sitting in You're the You're like a poor table. man's Les Murray, aren't you? Go on. <laughs> Well, just because I roll the t- roll yep. the R's a bit, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, Belishnia, <coughs> Belishnia had a um, one nil loss at home to Gorodena, and my mobile phone should have been switched off. <laughs> uh, Dynamo Minsk won two nil against Torpedo. Uh, Shaktor and Nedman Gronel played out a nil all draw. Oh, in fact, if they played out a nil, oh, yep, yep, that's right. Uh, Bait had a one nil win over Brest, and Dinamo Brest lost one two at home against Slavia. Uh, your boys on Sunday had a 2-0 win over Minsk and Shmolevsky lost 1-0 at home to Vitebsk, but undoubtedly the game of the round was Ishloch at home to Slutsk, which finished 3-2 to, to Slutsk. So uh, both teams were in the lead for a while, but uh, Slutsk finished stronger and now sitting second on the table. You do that so well. <laughs> All right, we're going to some messages. We'll be back after these, hopefully, with Mick Murray. Gate and Fence Hardware WA is your hardware shop online. Find all the parts you need to fix, make and secure your gates and fences. Friendly staff and family offer advice to help your project along or order in your special part. Gate and Fence Hardware WA. Station Sponsor. Gate and Fence Hardware WA is your hardware shop online. Find all the parts you need to fix, make and secure your gates and fences. Friendly staff and family offer advice to help your project along or order in your special part. Gate and Fence Hardware WA. Station Sponsor. 1972, under a scorching June sun in the French coastal town of Marseille, Two Algerian immigrants awaited the birth of their fifth child. Later that day, a star was born. We are proud to be the longest-running football show on radio in Australia. Call it soccer, call it football. Myself, Peter Skeeler, Penny Tanner, Sean Kelly, 
Don Evans and Derek Pollock are the voices in your world football team, sharing the news across WA, Australia and the world for the one and only world game, the World Football Programme on Radio Fremantle. Do you want better strata management? Put Prosperity Strata Management at the top of your list. We provide a flat competitive fee with no extra or hidden charges. We provide value for money repairs with contractor prices reviewed regularly. And we provide prompt professional service with 30 years experience, which is why our clients recommend us. Your property is our concern. See prosperitystratamanagement.com.au Station Sponsor Hi, I'm Miranda Templeman. The world is a little different to what we saw right now. We may be learning to play football with our mates online, keep in touch through FaceTime and watch classic matches on Share TV. One thing that won't change is being able to listen to the World Football Programme on Radio Fremantle. Your World Football team are in the studio every Saturday from 10am to 12pm. We appreciate your support. Stay safe, Australia. We're all in this together. Great words there from young Miranda. And yes, we are all in this together. And this state seems to be um, taking it and, and running with the, the instructions given. And, you know, we're safer than most states. And one of the men responsible for that joins us now in Mick Murray, who is the MLA for Collie Preston. So good morning, Mick. How are you? Good morning and uh, keeping very well at this stage. Yeah, glad to hear that. How are you, you holding up uh, under the, the, the pressure? I mean, your portfolio seems like it's um, getting battered at all angles. Uh, you're certainly right about that. But, um, you know, in the end result, it's about uh, keeping Australians safe and uh, doing our best to do that. And we'd like to think people will follow those uh, requests, I suppose, um, to help everyone. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, when you you look at your portfolio, Minister for the uh, Seniors and Aged, um, and you were very quick to make some very protective measures um, for people in aged care and aged, and the seniors in general, which is certainly paying dividends. Oh, yes. You know, we've seen uh, some of the overseas and we see the, uh, the facts and figures about what age group has been affected the most. Uh, so we did put some restrictions, uh, as much as it is difficult for families, but we certainly put restrictions in there to look after the people that are in those homes. Absolutely. I think uh, the co-host for, that works with me normally, Don Evans, who this morning was very fortunate to be able to have a, a non-contact visit with his mother-in-law in a nursing home, which has taken weeks to get through. But everyone seems to have taken on board the, the protective measures and why they're in place. And I think, you know... The work that's been done, particularly by uh, Mark McGowan, has been absolutely tremendous, and his leadership has been been something else. Look, um, you know, I think that's so important for any leader. It doesn't matter whether it's a prime minister or a state uh, premier that they have to be out there and lead from the front. Because in these times, the last thing we want is people turning on each other, and uh, that's so important. And we still have a few that want to flout the rules and say, "Well, it doesn't affect me." But regardless, it does. It's an Australian issue and we have to deal with it as such. Yeah, yeah definitely. And I think, you know, West Australians, generally speaking, are, are 
very much in the community and you said we we shouldn't be turning on each other i've seen a a couple of things on facebook where people have but it's it's quite interesting that the groundswell of, of support around people is let's not do this and yeah. it, it's the pressure the peer pressure is let's be reasonable about this we all understand why we've got to be locked down we all understand why we shouldn't be doing the wrong thing and we all understand the big picture and all we've got to do is look at new york to see what happens if you don't do what the government's telling us hmm. uh, you, you're dead right and uh, you know um even people with the travel issue over easter it's been uh, quite well received um, there's been a few people that uh, have tried to slip around the back roads um but more for them, it could be in the end result their grandmother, their parent, or themselves even that end up with the virus. So I can only just say, just don't do it. Yeah, absolutely. Look, there are some very selfish people around. But uh, another part of your portfolio, which is again not selfish, is volunteers. And and right now, volunteers are a, a huge part of the the management of this process and will be when we, we step into the recovery phase? Oh, certainly. And, and one of the things that makes you proud is um, uh, from a small community, I see it probably closer than in some of the larger but the people that step up and say, how can I help? You know, even in my office, I've had people dropping eggs in, people dropping toilet paper in to take out to the people that can't get to the shops. So yep. now when you see that sort of thing happening, yeah, Australia's not a bad place to be. No, definitely not. And, you know, there are so many stories around the place of people who have been made unemployed or, or laid off temporarily who are now volunteering their services to to help others. And then also, and we were just speaking before you came on, about the, the donations that companies and, and people like the, the Optus Stadium have done where they've donated their, their freezers full of food which would have gone to waste otherwise to community groups. Oh, yeah, you know, there was $70,000 worth of food in fridges and uh, getting close to going over time, that would have been had, had to be thrown out. So it was great to see the groups that come in behind and, uh, you know, worked very hard to make sure that went directly, not into a warehouse, but directly to the people in need, which, you know, is a credit to those people. Mm. And, you know, uh, probably sometimes a little risk to themselves as well. Yeah, absolutely. But I think, you know, these are, are risks that we, we all engage in um, freely. I mean, I, I work in a frontline industry um, where I've got a... I, got no option to go to work if i don't then it's you know people's health and welfare is at risk so we all do it knowing this is this is our role right now yep. and we're not looking for any extra thanks for it it's just what we do um looking at the the clubs i mean a lot of the clubs and and obviously being a, a countryman you know this to be to be very true are the the community hubs this is where people meet and connect with their their friends neighbors and and support businesses um what's happening out there at the moment it, the social disconnect is is not great but clubs are working very hard to try and keep people together they certainly are and we're trying to assist uh, down the line there with um uh you know funding we've had a, a package out with 150 million dollars that nine million of that will uh, be directed at at uh, clubs the clubs that had to cancel uh, sporting events and been out of pocket. Yep. Um, we're also working with the state sporting associations to see how we can keep make sure they keep afloat to assist down the line from the top because we're still going to need that leadership. So 
We've been out there. Uh, probably one that um, uh, is of particular interest to me, and, and we talk about the junior side of things, is that um, some of the clubs would have got funding from the kids' sports program. Yep. We'll certainly not be asking for that back, but in fact we'll be bringing the next round uh, further forward so that they can have extra money to make sure we get up and running uh, as quick as possible when we get the okay to go back to play sport. Yeah, and I think when you look at it for, for sporting clubs and particularly the winter codes, and and, and although we're primarily a soccer program, um, this this is about all of the clubs now, and we're not you know parochial about what we are doing, but all of the winter clubs, this couldn't have come at a worse time. Most of the the clubs involved would have bought sporting equipment and kit and invested in coaches and and players prior to the season coming up. So it's in there. They're very much a a cash poor period. We've got parents that have shelled out um, registration fees Mm. who now probably would be going that three, four hundred bucks would be really handy now. Um, So really, when it came to timing for winter codes, this, this was a horrible time for it to happen. Oh, certainly, and, and we very much understand that. Um, and again, the um, uh, different codes that have come in and said, look, you know, they've laid it on the table with us and, uh, you know, some have a nest egg and others don't. So that makes it difficult as well to put out a uh, one-size-fits-all. So we're working through it uh, club by club. We're asking, again, the, the head of the, um, Sports West to make sure all the clubs are uh, aware of what's available because it does change, I must say, it does change very quickly, uh, you know, because this is the first time we've done this and it's very difficult to think you've got it right in the first round. But, uh, you know, sometimes we have to make minor adjustments. So yeah. uh, I'm asking that, uh, you know, Sports West uh, help us along that line. Yeah, unprecedented times and, you know, everyone's learning how to do this. Um, some of the things I look at now when, when you look at, because of the way the state's performing... There is a possibility that sports may come back somewhere between June and July. And when they do and when the state starts to recover, um, businesses themselves will be in a recovery phase. They may not be able to pay the sponsorship they've committed to or be able to um, accept uh, sponsorship agreements with people. Um, the clubs themselves are going to be struggling. The volunteers themselves will be struggling. It's just, and you, you've mentioned about the the um, the support, the financial support that's available. Um, but it's just a, a big a big thing. And then when we get crowds going, watching football games of any code, um, whether or not people's confidence will be uh, in, about being in big crowds will be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there, there's several things there. Um, one is about the. Um, habits of, uh, you know, humans are habits, a creature's habits. And, um, you know, unfortunately, some of those people might not go back into the, I'm going to football on Saturday afternoons, whether it be soccer or, or you know, doesn't matter which sport. Yeah. So we have to be careful and make sure that we, um, you know, keep those people being involved and, uh, you know, wanting them to come back. The other one is I think there's no greater time, and I'll say this, um, uh, with with uh, great sincerity than for clubs to sit down and do an audit and look at their, their club functions from top to bottom and say, what can we do better now because things are hard and how are we going to do it in the future? I think that's so, so important, not only for associations but clubs themselves, to have a look, you know, but, yeah, it's all been easy or reasonably easy before, 
uh, with a bit of work, we can get that done. Now's the time to say, how can we do it better? And I, I really do stress that. Absolutely. And would there be any pressure on, on councils to to help clubs out? Obviously, there's a lot of council fees that get charged um, to clubs for the use of the grounds or the use of their facilities that they're in. And I know like, they've been sitting there vacant for the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, there's still costs involved. And I know clubs have got some power being used and definitely water being used for the, the pitches because some of those things still continue. Look, the um, the request from the Premier and myself is for councils to assist where possible uh, to write off the uh, year's fees that would be the best. But if not, uh, certainly look at what the capabilities of the club itself they can pay. Uh, my local council here, after my request, did write off uh, all the winter sports um, uh, fees and charges for their facilities. So... You know, I take my hat off to them, but they're not the only ones. Bunbury has done it as well, and there's a few in the city that have come up and said, "Look, we're not going to charge this year." Yep. You know, it it might only seem small to uh, the big budget, but when it's you know a thousand dollars to a small club, it means a lot, and you know, it would be very very helpful if they wipe those fees off. Yeah, absolutely. Look, a thousand dollars is is a lot of volunteer hours and a, and a lot of sweat for the the club. So, anything like that would be very much appreciative. And it's good to see that you know, yourself and the premier are on the front line and and haven't forgotten about clubs because I think you know the the focus right now and rightfully so is on health and and on business. But I think when we when we get into this recovery phase, um, clubs are going to be vital, particularly out in the country. Certainly, and as you said earlier, was that, you know, it is the meeting point uh, for many and uh, some, even some of the smaller communities, that's the only meeting they have for the, the week. Whatever sport they play on the weekend, they get around and, you know, the mental health issues that come out of that or the support for mental health issues, you can't measure that in dollar terms. It is something that goes back into the community and, uh, you know, we really do encourage that. When the when the um, uh, ban, or it's probably not actually the right word, but when when the restrictions are lifted, I encourage everyone that were and have been at a club before to make sure they come back. Don't leave the club stranded. Absolutely, and I couldn't have said better myself. Um, look, I think as you said before, unprecedented times, and and you know we we look at look forward to or look to our leaders for direction. Uh, and I know Mark McGowan's had his detractors prior to to this but um a lot of people even people i know who were, were, were dead set against him at the the start of his um his role as premier um are, are coming round to him because he he is really showing true le- leadership um he's making some of the hard calls he's he's hardened up our borders before um we were forced to yep. and he's really taken an aggressive um, stance on combating the virus and I think himself and of course his cabinet need to be uh, congratulated for the way you, you've gone about protecting the people of this state Well thank you thank you for that and I'll certainly pass that on um, but like anything um, whether it be uh, sport politics or, or other that um, when something happens uh, it really does sort out um, uh, the ability of some people to come forward and uh, you know, it's a bit like the old centre for half forward goes down. He's been your champion years, but a kid steps in and he kicks the next three goals. That's, that's uh, in sporting uh, terms is what Mark's done. You know, he's been 
good and steady, but now he's been exceptional. Absolutely, he has, and I think you know, hard to to find a better leader in the in the country at this time. I'll, I'll certainly tell him that, but I don't want him to get a big head as well. Uh, no, I look, I, I don't think he has. I think some of the things he's done really well, and maybe it wasn't deliberate, but the the lady that does the majority of the Auslan stuff has been an absolute character herself, and his reaction to the, the kebab stuff was just brilliant. <laughs> it show, shows the humanity, and it shows that, you know, despite everything and times, he's, he's really looked haggard, but he's still got time to laugh, and he's still got time to, you know, just be... A human, and and it comes through very well. I did um, uh, have a, a good smile myself, and you know the Easter Bunny one was certainly something that uh, even the kids, you know, that don't follow politics as such, but they were talking about it. So it has got through the community and right down to the grassroots of the community, and and I think that's what good, good leadership is about. Oh, absolutely, and yeah. and the team you have around you, as I said, the the Auslan lady. Um, She's an absolute character in her, in her own right, and I think she's she's picking up some some support as well. So, look, Mick, thank you very much for your time this morning. I know you, you're busy, and I do appreciate your call. Thanks to you and to the Premier for what you're doing for the state. Okay, thank you very much. We're going to just say again, you know, to your listeners, you know, don't take the risk. You know, it's just too vital that if we let the cat out of the bag again, we're back to square one. Yep. So please, please, you know, isolate and stay at home. So thank you very much for having me on. Absolutely. Thank you, Mick. We're all in this together. Yeah. Yep. Thank you. Okay, Mick Murray, um, MLA for Collie Preston. He is the Minister for Seniors, the Aged, Volunteers, Sport and Recreation, and, you know, doing doing a good job there. And some of the stuff he said about the, the $9 million that's been made available to clubs, um, I have seen some stuff out there about how to get hold of it, so we'll... See if we can get that on our page. Um, the kids' sports, etc. Um, just fantastic news, and also that you know they're asking the councils to to give consideration to the clubs. Yeah, he's going to have a lot on his plate, even when this is all been and done, and you know cl- clubs are trying to get up and running again. And you know, assuming that the coronavirus thing goes away nicely, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and you know, sort of the health industry can sort of dust their hands and go, you know, job done, back to normal. That's probably the point where he's going to get everything. Oh, his- you know, as the clubs are like. Right, we've, we've him got and dead. business will be yeah. the two that are on the the primary or on the front line of the recovery. Absolutely, and it seems like he's right on top of that. Yeah, it's quite interesting what we're saying about the the restrictions. Um, there was this, you know, the flattening the curve where yeah. we we're just going to flatten the curve out, and people will still get sick. Yeah, um, which is basically what they've been trying to do in America, and it's not working out <laughs> too well, yeah. and the UK. Yeah. Um, but what we've done here is another theory which is called reset the clock. And because we're a very small and isolated area, we can, as we have, close our borders off very yep. well. Yep. We can restrict the virus down and, and the whole point of isolating the regions is that the less movement there is, the less chance there is for the virus spread. to yep. spread between yep. districts. Once we can go to the point where we've we've got no new cases coming through, we've done what they call reset the clock. Yep. If we get one case come through in the metro area, one trace, uh, one is easy to track and trace. Yep. 70 or 80 is very difficult to track and trace. But if you've got one person yep. who's positive, you can track them back, go through all their contacts, isolate them, and that's really what the, the state's doing. The, the, the negative side of that is those hard borders have to stay in for at least another 12 months. Yep. 
And, you know, there's lots of things. International travel's out of the question. Um, I myself was leaving for the UK in, a, in a, about a month. Yep. Um, that's not happening. Yep. Um, you know, can't even go to Bunbury now. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, uh, you actually posted on my Facebook page late last year that I seem to always be overseas. So, yeah, that's, that's not happening. So. No, you must be struggling. Lucky for us, I'm lucky for me. I'm in the best place in the world to be, to be. Um, oh, no, look, no, the best place in the world. Period. We're very, yeah. very fortunate, and I think you know, there's been some talk about people going to the beach. We are in a, a point where we can still yeah. go to the beach, yeah. provided we do the social distancing. It is so important that we do that and respect that. You hear stories of people where they've had a an event and there's been two, three, four cars on their driveway. Yeah. Um, it's not right. Yeah. It's, it's un-Australian to dob on your neighbours, but, you know, you're tempted when you see that sort of thing happening. Absolutely. Yeah, no. And, um, yeah, we are we are all in this together. And all it takes is for, for my neighbour to be infected, run a chance of me being infected, um, and then you, and then anyone you come into contact. Yep. It really is Absolutely. just just dumb. And we, we've got to got to work at it together you know we're we're all isolated we are all prisoners and um you know it's it's a struggle for all of us it is but again on the other hand um we probably have the this is the best time in human history for us to go through this event because we've all got internet tv computers um you can just imagine you know when this occurred a hundred years ago with the pandemic and you know 1918 to about 1920 you know that you couldn't pick up a phone and talk to your friend you couldn't do a facetime session and and still see your friends faces and and have a chat with them and even have a beer with them over the internet so to speak absolutely um, so, you know yeah. it's 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 not as bad as it could be shall we say well the thing is take yourself yesterday was your wedding anniversary 20 years quite a significant um anniversary yeah um no restaurant no nobody to go out Luckily, I've got a daughter who is an amazing cook and she actually organised everything for us. So um, she did the menu, she did the meals. We literally just sort of wandered out to the backyard, had a drink. So you had a night, a night out as a night, a night in? Yeah, a night out without going out. Yeah. No, that's awesome. And that, that's the sort of thing that we, we've all got to be doing and all, all to be considerate about. You know, it's not about us this year. And I know, um, you know, Penny appreciates I'm not going to the UK because that means she doesn't have to cover me. <laughs> um, but it's not about me. It's about what's going on out there and, and about keeping ourselves safe. Yeah. Because, you know, as much as it is tough this year, we all want to be here next year. We all want to be talking about football this time next year and, and the year after. That's and, right. you know, if we don't do the right thing, that's what's going to happen. So it, it is a tricky time for all of us. Um, where it's not tricky is Belarusia, and I know you've got the, the league table ready to go, so I we do. can run through that. I just want to hear you say Energetic at top of the <laughs> league again. Okay, so top of the table. So if we work our way down, so Energetic BGU sitting top of the table, three games played, three matches won, six goals, four and one against. Second place is Slutsk, then Minsk, then Isloch, then Slavia, then Torpedo, Bel AZ, and then Vitbesk. All of those teams I just listed from second to seventh are all sitting on two wins and one loss. So very tight at the top of the table. Uh, then we get down to Nedman Grono, Shaktor. You're just using this as an excuse for me to say all the names. Dynamo Brest, <laughs> BATE, Ruch Brest, Dynamo Minsk, uh, Gorodevia. And then last of all, in the two relegation positions are Schmolnesk SKI and Belshnia. And I've even got some player statistics. If go on then, yeah. So, 
top scorer currently is uh, from Energetic. Yeah. Uh, with three goals. Now, they've got interesting. They list the goals scored, the penalties scored, and the first goal. So I assume they've actually got a separate statistic if you score the first goal in the game. I've never seen that okay. before. But um, oh, that, <laughs> you thought the team names were bad. Uh, <laughs> Yakshibigov. I'm, I'm sorry to all our Belarusian listeners out there. Yeah, you've got some fire. Yeah, yeah, your defence is terrified. <laughs> <laughs> he's on. He's on uh, three goals and scored the first goal once. Um, and there's also some disciplinary stats. So interestingly, for those of us who don't support energetic BGU, as we expect, they've got that dirty dog uh, Mooshkian. M- M- who's on two yellow cards and one red card after three games. He's a beast. Uh, yes. <laughs> Vitbesk also has a player, Chaloff. That was an easy one to say as a Russian yep. one. Uh, also on two yellows and one red after one game. So, I don't know. This, these players, they just don't know how to play the game. They're all just dirty, uh, dirty I think if you, if, you tra- if you translate his name into English, it's Vinnie Jones. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's, he's the Belarusian Vinnie Jones. Yeah. So, yeah, nothing wrong with that. Everyone needs a hard man, mate. That's well, actually, interestingly, looking at his stats, he's an attacker too. It's not often you see attackers rack up the red cards and yellow cards so quickly. But No, but you're stamping a goalkeeper here and there and the referees get a bit touchy about <laughs> yeah, it. They're, yeah. a bit they're a protective they? species, yeah. those goalkeepers. <laughs> I don't know. Everyone, everyone hates the team on top. That's the way it goes, you know. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure. Yeah. Right. Uh, great, Pete, uh, and I just love the pronunciation. I, I hope this becomes a permanent fixture. And it's even even when CV is over, we're going to be talking about the Belarusian League just to hear you say those names. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we're going to go to a break. We'll be back after these with Derek Pollock. a junior trainee at Oswest Fencing and Wrought Iron. I am the fourth generation of our family business. Oswest Fencing is built on 50 years of experience, creating unique fencing and gates and servicing the West Australian community. Let us help you secure and refurbish your home or business with customised materials and automation made to laugh. Ring us on 9258 6822 to discuss your ideas or visit our online galleries at oswestfencing.com.au. That's A-U-S-W-E-S-T fencing.com.au Station sponsor. Are you considering data and software development? From a simple website to custom office automation software, phone Andy at DataPlatz on 0414 263 938. That's 0414 263 938. Station sponsor. Hi, I'm Don Evans, proud to be part of the World Football Program team on Radio Fremantle, 107.9 FM. We're on air from 10 to 12 noon every Saturday. If you miss the show, you can retrieve it via the archive on the station website, radiofremantle.com. It's only there for one week and will overwrite with the following week's show. If you would like a copy of any part of the program, the station is happy to supply your moment of fame in various formats for a small cost. Ring the station offices weekdays on 94942100. Thanks for listening to the World Football Program. Yeah, it's not bad that one, but I still I still like your one. It's good. Um, 
message from Don. Um, give my Easter good wishes to all our listeners and my apologies for not doing the shift. That's okay, mate. As I said before, family come first, particularly in these times. Yep. Um, all right, so there's still a bit going on out there, but uh, we'd like to hear from the football family out there about what you're doing to get yourselves through the crisis. Get onto the Facebook page, put up what you're doing, let us know. Um, and if you want to get in touch with us, um, we will be taking calls once Derek has gone through his pieces. Um, and the number to ring, unless you know it. I don't know it. You don't know no, it? I don't know it. Oh, God, you're no good, Maybe Penny you? will chuck it up on the phone. No, no, I've got it. Um, just got to find it on my phone, that's all. But, um, yeah, give us a call and we'll do our best to do talk back. I'm learning how to run this this little system here myself and it's um it's not the easiest in the world but you know we'll get there um, one way or another it's unprecedented time so the number is nine four nine four two one zero zero nine four nine four two one zero zero if you want to talk to us online about any particular subject preferably football related yep all right, All right, so we'll, we'll talk to young Derek, who joins us on the line now. Derek, good morning. How are you? There we go. Good day, mate. How are you? Uh, that's better. Yeah, yeah that's lovely. Yeah. Um, how are you coping with the crisis, mate? Wife, young baby. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, we're um, yeah, coping. Yeah, extremely lucky that both wife and I uh, can can work from home. So. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's not been too hard on us. Um, and, yeah, we're very lucky considering the circumstances that yeah, a lot of people around are finding themselves in. Yeah, definitely. And working from home to become an option for a lot of people. And, um, you know, sometimes it's very difficult to tell where work starts and, and home life starts. Exactly. But, uh, you know, fortunately, you've only got one, one child. I've, one of my sons has got four boys running around him. And, yeah, I don't think that's working out too well. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> Couldn't imagine doing it with four, with four kids. That would be an entirely different perspective on it all. Absolutely. I'm, I'm still backing him to come up with the cure for coronavirus before anyone else. <laughs> <laughs> now... The the UK there seems to be so much up in the air at the moment. Um, you know, there's still no end to the to the EPL. They're still talking about finishing out the last nine games. Mm. How's that looking? Yeah, so it, it's it's one of the things where it's, it's extremely complex depending on who you are, and um, because who you are changes what you want. So I mean, yeah, a lot of people are, think it's pretty simple because they're only considering Liverpool winning the league, which is pretty straightforward. They would need to win. I mean, I don't, I don't know how it's they're twenty five points clear with City having a game in hand. So you know, it's they're obviously going to win the league. But where it gets more complex is, for example, um, European places. So Manchester United are only a game behind Chelsea. And Man United, since they signed Bruno Fernandes in January, have, I don't, I mean, I don't think they've lost the game since Bruno's come on board. So, well, I mean, but they definitely have an upward tick of form. So, you know, they they would be expecting to finish in the championship places. So if you finish the season now, then they will be rightly feeling aggrieved that they're going to be missing out on Champions League income. There are a lot of teams at the bottom. There's quite a tight relegation race. Yeah. So who gets relegated, you know? So... You've got to, people say, let's try and play out the season. And that's one um, area of thought. People who are benefiting from the season ending now are saying, let's just call it here. 
but also you've got um, promotion and relegation. You know, who gets promoted uh, to the Premier League? So there's a, a, a variety of factors that affect it all. But then you've also got this idea. People are saying, well, let's just go into next season and play out this season. But then you've got people, you've got contracts. Most contracts in Europe finish on the 30th of June. So if they go beyond that, then players are going to have to either have a contract extension for a couple of months or they're going to have to leave and clubs will be without players for, a, for, for, the, for the final few games of the season. Um, so it'll be, yeah, it's all, it's extraordinarily complex and whoever has the answer, uh, <laughs> yeah, they need to come forward. <laughs> but, you know, there is really no one answer. There's just a lot of wrong answers which will, you know, negatively impact the fewest people. That's the answer. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I think when you look at it, you know, you, you say... The, the top spot, really. I mean, no one in the right mind could argue with Liverpool. It's just unthinkable that they would lose that many points in, in nine games that they would turn over the league. So um, that's the easy one. But it is those European spots. And it's also the bottom end of that table where it is, you know, one point separates about five separate clubs. And, you know, beyond that, the championship side's coming up. Um, and, you know couldn't be any more leads for them to do what they're doing now um, and then to miss out just because there's of factors outside of their control. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And with leads as well, you know, they've been, they've been knocking the door for quite a while. They've never quite got through. A lot of people were thinking that this is the season to do it. But again, if, if we sort of just end the season now and say that no one's promoted, no one's relegated, you know, does Marcelo Bielsa stay? A lot of their key players stay? You know, that if they all leave... And they don't get, because they don't get promoted, that could then set a club back four, five, six years. Which, yep. you know, is, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's huge. And what I think a lot of people aren't factoring in is that we're all talking about what decisions could be made, but once a decision is made, how many people are then going to challenge that legally yep. and go through the courts and say, well, no, no, that's not right. We, you know, we're going to be too unduly um, compromised by this situation, so we're going to challenge it legally. Oh, look, without a doubt, and I think whilst everything's mathematically possible, um, you know, teams like Norwich, to all intents and purposes, are down. Um, statistically, the team that finishes the bottom at Christmas is is always relegated. I think there's only once it hasn't. Um, and it's, you know, statistically, they've they still got a chance of, of, of survival, but in all reality, they were going down. If you swap them over with Leeds, um, someone somewhere's going to complain. Yeah. Yeah, but even, even, even I mean, I, like, I, I agree with you that it, it looks like Norwich are written on to be relegated, but I mean, of, of all the teams that have been bottom at this time of the year, they will be far and away the best team of that. You know, they've been very, very close a number of times, and they've just recently started to have that uptick in form and win a couple of games. So yeah. even then, I think, you know, it wouldn't be a clear cut, well, they're gone, so let's just relegate them and deal with everyone else. Yeah. You know, one, one, one idea, well, I mean, I, again, I, I thought about this about eight seconds that might not be too well thought out um, but you could promote the top four from the championship not relegate anyone uh, have a 2014 league like they do in the championship every year in the Premier League Yep, and then just relegate seven next year Yep, yeah. I'd like that that'd, that'd be quite interesting it would be very the interesting the same number of teams that get relegated or the same number of teams that stay up continue to stay up but you just have a much more interesting competition mm. yeah and when you look at it it's only nine games so really with with the, the the schedule that they have in in UK generally, you could probably finish that in three or four weeks. It's 
depends, though, because, I mean, I agree with you, but also you've got Champions League. And so if the Premier League says, well, we're going to start playing again, the Champions League, which is a far richer competition, they, or could be, they might say, well, no, 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 we, we also want to start again. And then you've got teams that are, are playing midweek games, and then you've got mid-weekend games. Um, the FA Cup, the, the FA might say, well, because they are a different, comp- they're a different sort of entity to the Premier League, they might say, well, hold on, we, we're now going to start again as well. Um, and so the schedule could very quickly fill up. So I get what you mean by these only nine games. However, um, you know, it, it could very, very quickly become significantly more. Mm. And if, if, if it doesn't kick off again for another couple of months, we're oh. really pushing that June 30 barrier. Absolutely. Uh, and then when you, when you look at that, you've got, as you said, the FFA, uh, the FA Cup. But the Champions League's then who plays in next year's Champions League, who goes into the, the the Europa Leagues and other things. It's just, you know, the knock-on effects of not completing this season are immense. Yeah, especially clubs like Man United, um, who think they should be in the Champions League, think that they could very well qualify this season. They're only three points out. And I think Chelsea demonstrated... Uh, very clearly, why clubs want to be in the Champions League? Yeah. They when they were when they had Antonio Conte, they finished. Um, they got knocked out in the first knockout round of the Champions League after the group stages. A year later, with Mauricio Sarri, they won the Europa League. Um, they earned more money from the Champions League first round knockout than they did from winning the Europa League. Mm. So the disparity in income between the two competitions is absolutely enormous. Yeah, definitely, and then you know. It, it's just such a mess, and, and try and work that out. And then we, you spoke earlier about the players. Um, players are now copping heat about the the money that they they are collecting whilst they're not playing. Um, and there's been some issues with with Carl Walker. Yeah, I mean uh, the the issues with players getting paid and the the, the amount of people that have been attacking them has been absolutely unlike I, I, I found it unfathomable almost that you've got billionaire football owners who aren't paying the players, who aren't paying the, the, the um, staff rather, and then people choose to blame the, the young uh, footballers who, who are the, the reason why there is any football in the first place um, yeah. for, not, for not taking a pay cut quick enough when the people who pay them are choosing not to pay the staff and getting away realistically scot-free from me any real scrutiny. Absolutely, and and then when the clubs themselves are, are making, I think like Liverpool, fifty million pounds profit, um, and then laying off all their staff didn't really go well with, with the public. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was the, it was the same day, the same press conference, really, that um, Daniel Levy announced the forty million pound profit for Spurs, that they were going to furlough all their workers, piggyback off the government um, scheme to pay them. Um, and then the minister came out and blamed the players for not taking a pay cut. It yeah. was, yeah, I mean, you really couldn't write it. No, absolutely not. And then, as I said, Carl Walker hasn't really endeared players to the public. Um, on one hand, he's asking people to do the right thing during the coronavirus, and then he and his mate entertain two young ladies, um, and he's, he seems to have done the dash with England as well. Oh, yeah, no, that, that story, yeah, totally, totally eluded me, so I, I wasn't aware of that one. Oh, <laughs> where have you been living under a rock? Or is it just because it's a Man City player that's in trouble? You're not interested? Yeah, no, 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 no. I'm, no, I'm more than happy to play, <laughs> play where it's you. That one is just totally yeah. eluded me. Yeah. Oh no, he's quite public about people, you know, listening to Boris Johnson and um, 
volunteering to help out with the, 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 the coronavirus clinics and other things that people needed help with. And then um, he and his mate promptly decided to entertain two young ladies for, for profit. Um, and it's really... <clears throat> Really so, poor form. Poor form. Um, yeah, not not a good look when everybody else is socially isolate, isolating themselves to so then involve yourself with two complete strangers and to also then flout those regulations yourself. Um, Gareth Southgate is very much a, a family man and, and has some very strong values and I think mm. it's it's really annoyed him to the point where I think Carl Walker may well find that he's that was his last game for England. Yeah, especially given uh, right back is a position that's come um, that used to be problematic, but now is quite strong for England. So, you know, he, he really didn't have he, well, he needed a bit of luck to keep hold of it anyway. Yeah, with players like Trent Alexander-Arnold uh, breathing down his neck, and now and um, Aaron Wan-Bissaka, but now yeah, that's yeah, that's not done him any favours there. Yeah, it's good to see some of these young players coming through because both of those players you mentioned this time last year were, were nobodies and they've been given a, an, op- an opportunity to, to get out there for whatever reason and they've grabbed it with both hands. Yeah, I agreed, especially um, the Trent Alexander-Arnold situation because he wasn't actually right back, he was a mid-centre tuner. Yeah. And, but he got he got an option to be a right back in the first team. I mean, I, I'd, rather, I'd rather play out of position than not play. And, and yeah, he's become, you know, you'd be hard-pressed to find too many right-backs in the world better than Trent at the moment. Absolutely. No, he's, he's done extremely well. And it just shows that, you know, you don't always need to go to a foreign country or, or to a, an ex-international and bring them in to strengthen your side. Sometimes all these kids need is a go. Yeah, exactly. You're a bit of exposure to the young players. Um, and, yeah, it does, does wonders. However, unfortunately, um, the nature of management in the Premier League and the sort of uh, tentative nature of employment doesn't help you there where if, you know, first line of trouble, a manager's the one that gets the boot, he's not going to trust his job to young players often enough. So it it kind of, that's what it sort of leads to. Oh, look, it's... Yeah, for Trent Alexander-Arnold, the reason he's there is because there was such a woeful injury list at, at Liverpool that it was, I have to put you there, and there was no other option. It was the same at West Ham. Um, you know, when you when all your first, second and third choice of, of right-back are gone, um, you're either going to play one of your first regular first teamers out or you're going to give some young kid a go. And it's just, you know, heartening to see that these kids are willing to step up. Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, Phil Foden, the Man City, isn't getting enough of game time. Uh, he's showing that he should be getting more game time. Yep. Uh, and, yeah, there's, there's, lots, there's lots of examples around Europe, uh, around the Premier League. Unfortunately, there's not enough examples. It's interesting, though, with Foden that they they have managed to hang on to him because, obviously, you know, they're, they're such a fantastic club and, and you know, the success is, is there. But for someone like Phil Foden, if he really wants to be an England prospect, he needs to be playing first team in one of the other teams in that league because he's, he's not going to push out the, the midfield of uh, Man City. He's always going to be someone who's there playing a bit a bit role and back up. Yeah, I think uh, Pep, he's been quite... Uh gushing in his praise for Fit Foden in press conferences and I feel that there might be you know, training with, with that first team would be eye-opening and extremely beneficial but I, I feel that because that David Silva's contract is expiring at the end of the season and so I think he's sort of told the club that he's moving on at the end of his contract and Foden has been given a bit of a promise regardless I mean I can't say how accurate that promise will actually be kept 
but he's probably been given a bit of a promise that he will be the sort of replacement for David Silva, and they're not going to sign a replacement for him. And so then it will be sort of him, De Bruyne, and Rodri as the sort of the starting starting midfield three. And and if not, expect a transfer request in. If they buy another midfielder in that he thinks, you know, he's going to jump me in and go into that spot, then he'll be handing his his transfer papers in, I would imagine. Yeah. Oh, you'd think so, yeah, definitely. Yeah. You know, seeing, seeing examples of Trent Alexander-Arnold coming, you know, um, and the other side of Manchester with Greenwood coming in, Rashford coming in, all those sort of players. Um, yeah, you'd definitely expect him to moving on pretty quickly if they decide to replace David Silva with a different person. And with the World Cup pending, you know, depending on the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> Just so much depending on... Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, he, you know, he's finally got a manager that's trusting in young players and wants to play a bit more possession-based attacking football with skillful number 10s like um, Phil Foden. And it's the right time to be playing first-team football. Absolutely it is. He doesn't want James Madison to be taking the spot. No. Now, also in England, um, I believe that the, the Women's League did get finished and they've, they've made the decision on the Women's League. And, again, I don't know how that, that sits with the player contracts. Obviously, Sam Kerr is over there with Chelsea um, and several other uh, Matildas are still stranded there in England. So um, if that season is finished, where, where does that leave the, the Women's League in England? So the Women's League in England, yeah, it's, so it's interesting. Um a lot of, this is, yeah, really hit at the wrong time because it was starting to seem like there was starting to be a bit more money flowing in for the players. That money, unfortunately, wasn't yet flowing in for facilities. For example, um, Liverpool, despite being enormously wealthy, having, and just spending a lot of money on training, their training ground, um, the women's, the women's team still plays on the ground share that Liverpool have with Tramier Rovers. Yeah. As they play on, what was two years ago a non-league pitch, and that just you know increases the chance of injury, reduces the the quality of of the game that you can play on those sort of pitches. Several games in the women's they got called off, and so now you've got the lack of money coming in for some of the games because they haven't finished the league. And yeah, a lot of people are worried about the state of the league and if it will be able to kick off. Because that was resembling really- anything like it finished. It was really promising that, you know, for women's football, that Europe was really, or finally had taken um, the load off Australia and America, who'd been the the Premier Leagues for for women for so long, um, that the the EPL getting involved in England certainly gave some legitimacy to the the women's league, the recruitment of the players that they had. it really looked like that was it was going to take off big style in Europe, and now this has happened. And you look at what's happened in in Australia and elsewhere. Um, will will women's football come back as strong? Um, yeah, I mean, it, I mean, I, I think it'd be pretty safe to say it won't come back as strong straight away. Eventually, maybe, but or hopefully, but not straight away. I feel that there's been too much financial damage done to so many clubs that just getting them back to where they want to be with their men's football will take a long time and rightly or wrongly the men's football is the, the one that is taken the most seriously and so they will do that first and then if they've got the, the time money they'll take care of the women's football and so I don't think it will come back initially as strong that's just yeah I just don't see how it's possible uh, given the financial hit a lot of clubs have taken yep. 
But yeah, no, you're right. It was looking so strong. You know, we had Haley Mazzo go across, Caitlin Ford. Um, loads of players came, went from the A-League across to the WSL. And now, yeah, a lot of them will be starting to run one day. You know, will I still be getting paid? Uh, will there be money next season? Because a lot of them are on one-year one year temporary contracts. Yep. yep. And so on most of the players, in fact, almost all. And so much like problems that we're having with the men's players in the A-League at the moment, where, you know, what's going to happen, I mean, maybe not quite the same because the men's players want a bit more, but, um, you know, what will happen with those players? You know, will they still have to go work at the local BP or will they still be able to make enough of a living from the football? Absolutely. We look at A-League players here. I think we have a very high percentage of players that are on one-year contracts. A lot of those have been terminated. But it gets much, much worse when you go to the W-League where these women who have been working part-time to support the, their football activities, their football contracts have been cancelled. And under the job seeker allowances, they're not eligible under either one to, to get a payment. So, you know probably been more affected by this than anybody else in the community. Yeah, and I was totally unaware about that, about the job seeker allowance. I just assumed that was not the case. Wow, okay, I didn't realise that. That's very bad. Mm. Yeah, well, the thing is that you, you have to have been employed for, for 12 months if you're on a part-time basis, and a lot of people in part-time work aren't. Um, and then yeah. when you've got part-time um, people, and most of them, you know, at least Devanna did, did pump fuel for a while um, and they work in coffee shops and yeah. other industries that are all now virtually wiped out um, their employment as a footballer is not recognised because it's only for a 12 week season so it's, it doesn't even enter into the equation so very very difficult for people here and I think the when you talk about um, foreign clubs and the, the financial pinch and A-league clubs and the financial pinch most of those clubs are not going to have the, the wherewithal to um, fund a male's team and a female's team. It'd be very interesting to see what happens with um, with Glory. Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that speaks to really um, a broader societal problem of increasing casualisation of the workforce, um, which, yeah, which is, I mean, that's another conversation entirely. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like you say, and, I mean, I've, I've heard, well, I mean, there's, I've, I don't have specific details about first boys' finances, but there have been a lot of uh, words coming out in the paper um, that aren't overly positive. I mean, I saw a phrase, you know, will Glory still be involved in, in the competition next season, you know? Mm. Um, so, yeah, look, it's, it's huge for the whole A-League. Yeah, the A-League was not in root health before this, before this outbreak. And now, um, you know, if Foxtel pulls, I think they're either pulling the pin on the, on the deal or yep. um, are going to or have already done, um, you know, will, will anyone, knowing there's basically no competition for TV rights, you know, what, what sort of deal are they going to get? Will they get a deal? I'd like to see Optus pick them up, but we'll see how we go. Yeah, yeah certainly when um, uh, when Foxtel had the EPL A-League and, and EPL went quite nicely together because yeah. it was a nice little run-in. So as, a, as an A-League fan, certainly hope that uh, Optus sees that and remembers that and picks up the A-League as well. That would be nice for us. It would be, yeah. But yeah, the, otherwise, yeah. I mean, otherwise, do we go back to the NFL or, you know? Yeah. Oh, no, look, when, when you look at it for the for the local leagues, you know, A-League and W-League in particular, um, again, couldn't have come at a worse time. The um, the TV deal was already tenuous before mm. this happened. Now you've got the A-League owners have to negotiate um, a new agreement. 
Foxhill don't seem to be interested. Um, we talk about people that are feeling the pinch. Most of those Foxhill uh, presenters for sport have, have been also laid off. Yep. Um, you know, yeah. there's a huge number of them that are no longer working. Um, this has affected all avenues of the sporting code. It's not just the players, it's not just the coaches, it's not the backroom staff, it's all those ancillary industries, the the clothing suppliers. I spoke with um, John O'Reilly's with Macron, who, you know, obviously they supply all the kit. Um, there's other people who apply it all the equipment, um, the TV, the radio, everyone is affected in one way or another by this and it, it has far-reaching implications. And then when we look at the recovery phase and and how how do we get back, it's so important that we do get TV coverage. Um, but who's going to pay for that? The the sporting body? Is the government going to assist? Is I don't know. There's, there's just so much that we could look at. Yeah, I wouldn't hold your breath, hoping the government will put too much effort in for football in, in the country, unfortunately. Um, we've seen historically that hasn't been the case. So, um, But yeah, no, like you say, it's all of the peripheral sort of employment. You know, people who work in the bars next to the stadiums, people who work in the stadiums, you know, that, yeah, it's just been, yeah, catastrophe, really, for the, for the industry. Oh, well, you, you look at what's happened with the FFA and with um, with the Football West. Um, all of them have laid off staff. I, I truly worry about their financial stability and, and whether they're going to be able to get through this, depending on how long it goes. Mm. Um, and then you look at what Rob Sherman said when, when he's been quite um vocal since his his um leaving ffa about restructuring it so that they don't have state bodies in charge of the ffa as a central body run football across the country and that uh, there's no need to replicate the the ffa structure in each state mm. uh, and maybe streamline that somehow so that there is less bureaucracy between yep. grassroots clubs and the ffa yeah that sounds pretty ominous if you if you yeah, if you work for one of those governing bodies that are, that are state-based yeah, no, absolutely. But I think the, one of his issues was that there's so many parochial interests within the states that the states themselves don't agree. Therefore, they're, they're not working in a contingent line with, with the FFA. And it would, in some ways, be better just to have um, those... You know, the CEO of the FFA is the CEO for the entire country without having individual state CEOs. And then the... the, the training side of it and the coaching side of it is directed through FFA um, nationally rather than having state bodies that are running their, their development programs. Yeah, I mean, that sounds definitely like it, it could be in a perfect world a, a good a good result. But um, again, you know, we've seen um, there's, well, I mean, football fans that are notorious for um, seeking and seeing conspiracy where it may not potentially exist. And... Um, I just, yeah, I, I can just see the FFA or it basically becomes the Football New South Wales um, in, in most people's eyes around the country if that does happen. Um, and yeah, and it, so it could be, could be quite a positive um, movement forward, um, but, you know, you'd have to see the details and what stops it becoming basically... New South Wales controlling the country. Oh, absolutely. And then there's there's all these other things. You know, we, we talk about the NPL. I think the one thing that you will get 
universal agreement on is that the NPL is broken, it's not working as intended, um, and that there's a, an absolute need for a second division. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely in the camp, and I've always been in the camp of I, I just, I can't see how the finances of a second division works. But if, if, if it can be, if it can be shown, then I'd be well and truly in favour of it. Yeah. But we just need there needs to be. I mean, given how uh, tenuous the finances of so many A League clubs were, I, I was just yeah baffled as to how we we could get a second division operating nationwide that would yeah be financially solvent. When you know Central Coast were, you know Perth Glory, there's you know there's so many question marks over you know, when every club in the first league is, is losing money. Basically, how we could then get a solvent second division. But if, if if it could happen, then yeah, that would be amazing for football in this country. Oh, without a doubt. And I think, you know, some of those things that Rob Sherman was talking about was about dissolving that bureaucracy that stopped it from happening. Um, anyway, we, we've digressed a fair way from from England and what's happening <laughs> over there. Um, the the lower tiers, we, we've talked about the the um, EPL, we've talked about the Championships League, the, the EFL, the English Football League itself. Um, a lot of clubs prior to this season were in tenuous territory financially where do we see those clubs once we get through this coronavirus crisis yeah so i mean so many clubs in the lower leagues in england were living such a hand-to-mouth existence before this happened Mm. and you can only imagine that that number just balloons exponentially in the face of coronavirus Um, i mean well we've got the examples of bolton that basically went to the wall buried it did go to the wall um and yeah, and, and that will probably happen to several other clubs without intervention from above. Uh, because, they, yeah, they, 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 the financial model for so much of English football has just been totally skewed away from sustainability. Um, you know, and that's just, you know, fans want to see results. They want to see victory. And, you know, if you're finishing mid-table or you're fighting relegation and you're, and you're posting profits, fans get on the, on the chance stacks and say, well, what, you know, why are we saving all this money when we could, you know, buy a couple of strikers and that suddenly we're promoted and we're in the big leagues, you know, and that's been the sort of, yeah, that's been a, a big problem, but also having owners that don't really care about the football club too much. And, you know, the very um, situation, I believe, I'm happy to be corrected on this one, but there was, or was it Bolton, one of them, there was an owner that was getting offered money and it was offered, people offering to buy the club. Yeah, but that was, they weren't offering the the right figures of money, and so he said, "No, I'd rather see it go." That was Barry, and he did watch it go. Um, but you look at Bolton, you know, um, inaugural winners of the EPL. Um, they're now sitting in relegation zone in Division One. They started the season with a ten point deficit. They've played largely with a team that's um, made up of eighteen and nineteen year olds. Um, they've been flirting with bankruptcy since the start of this season. You've got Southend United, who are also just permanently um, somewhere between bankruptcy and broke. <laughs> and it's you know. They're the clubs that, that make up the, the, the first and second divisions and, and there are no orphans in that. There's, everyone else is just flirting with bankruptcy. It doesn't take much of a um, a tilt for them to go one way or the other and it's, you know, this coronavirus is, has affected them and then the, the opportunities for players to 
to play in England reduces. The quality of football may well reduce. We've got a lack of ability to send players over to Europe and, and UK in particular. Um, again, the, there's the ripple effect of COVID-19 uh, are going to be with us for a while. Mm. Yeah, but well, speaks to a larger sort of um, problem with society where, you know, I used to live um, in a place called Woking, just outside London. Um, you could be in London in 25 minutes on the train. Um, but I had a football team in, in the championship, or the, sorry, the national premiership, so yep. just below League 2. Um, and again, you know, 1,500 people would, would go a game um, tickets were ludicrously expensive, uh, but by the same token, you know, you talk to the kids at the school I work at. Who do you support? Chelsea, Arsenal, Tottenham. You know, everyone wants to just follow the, and, and watch the team on TV that is um, winning all of the games and signing all of the big players. You know, and this is slowly happening. You know, the Champions League cheer was the, the knockout. It's the first time ever the knockout rounds consisted entirely of clubs from the top five leagues. Mm. Not one team in the championship in the, in the knockout rounds is from outside of, yeah, Liga, um, Serie A, La Liga, EPL, Bundesliga. And so there's this slowly, and it's speeding up, um, trans- transfer of wealth from everyone up to the, the handful at the top. Jonathan Wilson, in one of his podcasts, spoke about this, where um, the biggest match in, in Ghana used to get 60,000, 70,000 people a game. Now it gets 20,000 because the best way to watch Ghana, um, Ghanaian footballers is on the TV in the pub. And so, you know, this is a problem that we've got across society where you know people are not watching football's no longer become it's become a tv show rather than something that you that you, you know you do absolutely yeah no it has and i think you're right um when i was a kid growing up i had my home team and i had my premier league team um i would watch my premier league or back then division one team on the tv match of the day because it was just inaccessible and then i would go to my local um, club which was south end united and watch them play live um, and somehow that's become inverted that people will now either watch the the Premier League game live or on the TV and they're not going to the the local game or they're watching that on the TV as well because, you know, TV coverage is there. But the bottom line is that the crowds are dropping, you know, three to 6,000 is the average crowd in those lower leagues and it's not not sustainable. Yeah, and, I mean, it was, you know, at Woking it was, the big days were when Leighton Orient got relegated and we played them um, away, uh, home rather. And yeah, Leighton Orient bought 2,000 people from, um, from I don't know where, Leighton, I guess the suburb is, in London, um, on the train. But again, you know, that's one game a year. You know, you get the old derby against Aldershot where it, it's, it's full. But other than that, yeah, the, you, you know, you're the lower league teams. Uh, live, you know, they live an increasingly hand-to-mouth existence because of a lack of support. But also just, you know, it's, yeah, again, that general transfer of wealth um, from the many up to the handful at the top. Yeah. Um, and that, yeah, and that doesn't help. And this may only get worse following following the, the coronavirus. And I think, you know, when we talk about the, the lower leagues, um, I really fear for the progress that women's football has made because the, the financial supports that have got it to where it is are going to fall away. And I, again, don't see that people are going to be putting the, the money that they were putting into the game in general in and that the trickle-down effect means that those lower leagues and also the, the women's game are, are going to suffer as a result. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, yeah, I agree 100% with you there. You know, I've, I've coached women's football now for seven years. I you know, feel very passionately about it. And yeah, like you say, you know, that the sort of advertising revenue that might have got 
will now not be there or will go to some different men's clubs and um, yeah, the, the people might not have the money to go anymore to, to watch the football. So that will dwindle and yeah, I, I just, it came so far so quickly and then it's all sort of, it might potentially fall away. I hope it doesn't. I hope it doesn't have the sort of impact that I, I believe it will. Um, but again, it's just trying to get it back to, the, to that point. Um, you know, in terms of the low league clubs, though, I think if, if one good thing could come from this, it, you know, it could be a renewed sort of perspective and people go, wow, maybe uh, fan-owned clubs is actually a good idea yeah. rather than having your Berries, your Boltons. Instead, you have your AFC Wimbledons where they're not in financial trouble and the fans own the club so that they can't get, again, a billionaire just buying the club and moving it to Milton Keynes. Yeah, look, and, and that's a, a model that's very much the... The model in Spain and Germany, a lot of them are owners' collectives where the, they are owned by the fan group. There's there's not a well-moneyed shake or um, mining mm. conglomerate behind them. And in some ways, they, they have to be m- more financially responsible because they're more responsive to their members. Yeah, I mean, Germany, they have that, well, in the Bundesliga anyway, um, they have the 50 plus one rule where 50% of shares plus one has to be owned by the fans. Yep. Um, there is some exceptions to that. If you are a company that sponsors a club and as a major sponsor for, I think, 20 years, then you can buy them. Um, and then a couple of other ones like Bayer Leverkusen were originally formed as the workers' team for Bayer, the, manu- um, the pharmaceutical company. Yep. Same with Wolfsburg as the uh, Volkswagen workers' team. Um, so they're the exceptions. Then Red Bull Leipzig have managed to get around it by figuring out who are members. And so they've only got... Rebel executives as members, so they all own the shares. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now look, it's interesting. I think you know one of the things when, when we look at how we we climb out this recovery is how we restructure the the clubs, the leagues, and the associations. You know, um, a lot of clubs locally, and, and you would know yourself because you, you're highly involved in one, um, are looking at how they they look after this. Um, a lot of state league clubs, NPL clubs, we spoke with John O'Reilly earlier who was talking about player payments and whether or not the players would play for less. Um, you know, an argument you don't have in women's and, and um, amateur football because you just play for the fun of it. Um, but it's interesting, some people's minds are going to have to change. The The world has changed and it's, it's those financial structures are going to have to change. If you don't have the money, you can't pay players. Yeah, no, absolutely. And again, you know, I think single ownership of clubs has been an issue for quite a long time. You look at this, just innumerable examples from the world where, I mean, look at Venkies, who bought Blackburn, um, who were a regular, but are in the Premier League since from the beginning. They won the Premier League in the beginning, um, and then they just, just totally misran the club. Got it relegated. Sunderland, another huge club that was just totally mismanaged. Uh, if you move away from football, you know, in basketball, the New York Knicks, yeah. one of the most valuable teams in the world, have a billionaire owner that just doesn't care, and it's all about his own ego. Um, and so you've got millions of fans that, uh, yeah, I just, just have an owner that doesn't care about the, about the team. And so fan ownership, I think, is definitely the way forward. And, and we could be moving to a financial paradigm where it becomes much more possible. Yeah, one of the things I've been doing since I've, I've been in lockdown is I, I binge-watch Sunderland till I die, and that was a, a very good insight into the financial mess they were into and and the the mindset of the club 
um, in as much as they were losing 30 or, or 35 million pound a year and all they did was write a check or write a note to the the sponsor in Miami who would send them a check for it and it was just there was just like a big company approach who cares and then when that had to change um, they had to make some fairly drastic changes to how they they structured the club but it's, it's a really intriguing watch if you if you haven't seen it as yet watch it it's been on my watch list for yeah. such a long time I haven't got around to it yet but again it's on you know, they had Jack Rodwell on £50,000 a week or whatever it was yeah. without as far as I'm aware a relegation um, weight shot clause which is just financial negligence yeah. oh, look, on that and it wasn't just that they had some young kids who going through their, their uh, academy system who when they broke through to the first team didn't have an automatic renewal if they became a first team regular so then all of a sudden the agent got very greedy and no matter what they were offered could get a better deal in france or wherever so the club ended up having to sell him uh, for a million euros because that was the best deal they could get. He was just going to walk otherwise. And it was just, um, you know, as you said, the, the mismanagement of it was really interesting to see how that went. Yeah. And, you know, it's clubs in, you know, fan and clubs can be mismanaged, but yeah. there is a much greater level of um, accountability to the fans than someone who has a gigantic ego, more money than cents, and doesn't have any empathy for the tens of thousands of people that um, religiously follow the club that they're Absolutely. And look, as I said, Sunderland till I die, um, definitely one to watch. Some other things, we, we've got a, a couple of lists that we'll put up on the, the board. Already um, up there. Yeah, right, there's two lists up there on, on the board that um, around the, the movies that you, you could watch if you haven't. There's some absolute classics in there and a couple of really good docos. Um, there's one called The Two Escobars, which is intriguing. Um, if you can remember, there's there's a young man by the name of Pablo Escobar who made his money um, quite in the wrong way. Okay. Um, and then the parallel of him and, and a young Colombian who managed to score an own goal in a World Cup and how the two are intrinsically mixed up and ended up with the, the young player being shot um, under the pretense of he scored an own goal. But it was basically about the amount of money the drug barons lost in, in a betting uh, coup. So, it's, there was a lot of football clubs in Colombia as well. You know, that was a good way to um, yeah. launder money and to sort of whitewash their image. Like yeah. what the Shacks are doing in the Premier League at the moment. Absolutely. And then, you know, if you look at there's some, some wonderful movies out there and some of the old classics, um, Escape to Victory, which, <laughs> you know, when you watch it, what a cast. You know, yeah. Pele, um, yeah. Stallone. Stallone, yeah. Stallone, <laughs> Stallone in goal. And apparently when they wrote the script for it, Stallone, because he was the producer, um, he wanted to score the winning goal in the World Cup and they pointed out, you're playing the goalkeeper, you can't, you know. Um, but, it, no, it, just a fantastic oh, score. has got a lot of good videos as well. Yeah, Osvaldo Ardiles yeah. was in that team. Um, you know, half of the, the Ipswich first team at the time, John Walk is in yeah. there and a whole load of others. So just a great watch. Um, yeah, so there, there are some... Well, I mean, there's, just another, there's another film, I don't know if it's the one you're referring to, but um, in the, um, Barcelona, that had a player, um, Laszlo Kubala, back in the 70s, 70s, yeah. and they um, wanted to sign him, but he was Hungarian, and the, um, the communist regime wouldn't, um, wouldn't let him leave, or no, he, he'd left, but they wouldn't let him sort of sign 
permanently and Franco, the dictator in Spain, didn't want it to happen either. He wanted Spanish people. And so Barcelona made a film starring Kubala about not using his name, but about a player that escapes this sort of evil regime and is liberated by this, you know, you know happy Spanish leader. And it was this propaganda effort to convince Franco to let him play. And it worked. And, you know, they released the film. And, and so, yeah, if you can get your hands on that one, that, that, that would be quite interesting to watch, I think, as well. And then Franco gave him the tick of approval. And he went on to become one of Barcelona's greatest ever players. <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? And there's, I mean, there's loads of them out there. There's, there's if you want something really strange to watch, looking for Eric is not a bad one. Um, it's you know, someone who's got this fixation on Eric Cantona. Um, but that's a, a quite interesting movie. That, sort of just with Escape to Victory. I was just looking up. It was made in '81. Yeah. And it, as you say, they used a lot of Ipswich uh, players. Mish Davray was an Ipswich player at the time, so. I don't see anything on Facebook whether whether he was in it or not, but might be worth a watch and see if you can pick him out. Yeah, yeah. that's right, absolutely. Um, and then there's there's just a couple of really funny movies in there, like Mac, Mike Bassett, England manager. <laughs> um, <you know. laughs> it, well, no, the scene where the interview Calais. Oh, yeah. who do you think will you know qualify for the World Cup and eventually get to England? And he starts laughing. That's yeah, it's a fantastic one. Mm. Yeah, and then the the documentaries we already touched on Sunderland till I die, but there's also the class of '92, which follows the um, the, the the class of '92 from Manchester United and how they're involved in the running of a small football club itself. Um, that's quite an intriguing watch. There's a couple there that I haven't seen, and one I, I'm going to have to seek out and find, which is um, Keenan Vieira, the the best of enemies. Um, yeah, that would be a, a real watch because I remember watching them play back in the day, and you know, there was no quarter given. It, that sounds really interesting. Yeah, and um, YouTube on YouTube, um, there's a channel called Copper Ninety. Yeah, and they've got uh, just a huge array of, of they do Derby Days season where um, there's actually an Australian guy Eli. He goes around to different cities around the world and interviews people about the history of their city and of their derby. Some videos are five minutes, some are ten, some are an hour. There's a good old range there. Yeah, one for you. All or nothing, Manchester City. Yeah, I've watched that one either. I've got a list there, a quarantine list to get through. So yeah, absolutely. They're all, and, and they're we're all talk, on that one. There, there's a couple for for England. One one of them is Bobby Robson, more than a manager. And the other one, which is an absolute um, must-watch, is One Night in Turin, which talks about um, England's defeat by Germany and the... The lead up to that, and it's just you know intriguing watch. All right, I'll right, right, we'll get onto that. We'll get onto those. All right, and if, and if you want something fantasy, feel good, and um, just a, a real good watch is uh, a thing called Shaolin Soccer. <laughs> basically, oh, basically, it's enter the dragon meets football. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> you'll, you'll find yourself thinking, what am I watching while you're watching it? Absolutely, yeah. No, it's, 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 it is a coronavirus survival kit for, for the football fan. Yep. Um, I did find one myself the other day, which was called Final Score, which um, I, I watched it purely because it was a, an adventure film about a, a terrorist plot. <laughs> but it finally ended up with the, the actual Amberlynn ground at uh, West Ham being blown up as part of the um, the back to the story. You're thinking, wow, um, that was, you know, the, the, it was all at the end of it centred around a West Ham game in Europe, which I thought in itself was a fantasy piece. But, you know, <laughs> um, it was... 
It wasn't a bad story. And then um, we were talking earlier on uh, the SBS Home Ground. You've been watching yes, that one, Pete. I've, I've caught a couple of bits of it late at night. It is yeah. on the streaming service, so it's about a, a newly promoted team in Norway gets up to the first division, their coach walks, and uh, they hire a, a lady manager. So I haven't I haven't watched enough of it to give you a full rundown of it, yeah. but the bits I've seen, I've been like, I need to get that, and it is available on SBS Streaming. I've, there is a link on our Facebook page if you want to give that a go. So uh, apparently there's been two seasons of it, and it's uh, rated quite highly as well. So Absolutely. Yeah. We had anything come up on the Facebook page at all, Pete? I don't think there's anything has come up that I need to repeat. Or ne- sorry, need to... Uh, one, um, I think it's called Next Goal Wins or Words to That Effect. Yeah, about, that's an upcoming um, one? Uh, no, nah, a, um, a few years ago. There was a oh. very small island. I forget exactly which one in the Pacific. And they've never... I don't think they've ever scored an international goal, let alone won a game. They get a coach to come in to try and get them to um, to win some games. And I, I mean, to sort of contextualise just how average their team is, that they think Vanuatu is a sort of a regional powerhouse. Oh, um, and so, <laughs> yeah, and they all they all have part time jobs, or full time jobs really. And then they just this is just on the island they play. Um, and yeah, so that's uh, charts their progress towards their first. This is, this is the one about the uh, American Samoa football team. That's the one. Yes, that's right. I've, yep. I've got the details up here. It still says, oh, it says filming began late in 2019, so yep. should be upcoming. So I think, you know, look, oh, there was a for anyone, so anyone out there, as well, yeah. Okay. yeah, anyone out there who's who's um, looks at our list or thinks you know you've missed this, please put it up there because um, we're all looking for something new or different to watch, um, and we need to get our dose of, of football in at the weekend. Um, and you know, it's been a, a great help to me just going through. I binge watched the uh, Sunderland till I died the other night, and um, yeah, just. Keep it in contact with the game. Derek, thank you very much for your time. Um, been wonderful having you on. Um, we've got Len setting up in here for Bags Groove, which will be following us shortly. So for the Jazz fans out there, um, stay listening. Um, and it's been been great having you on, Derek. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Derek. All right, Pete, we're coming up to the final whistle. Um, been a lot going on. As I said, we will keep you up to date with the Belarusian League and, and just follow Pete Apparently for the pronunciation. Just before midnight, the um, the live stream starts yeah. tonight. So, uh, FC Slutsk for those. Okay, no that. worries. And um, there's a lot going on out there in the world, but, you know. Whether or not football proceeds, it'll be, it'll be down to the government, not not the clubs and the governing bodies. So we just need to hope and pray that what we're doing out there is, is keeping everybody safe. Um, stay in, listen to the radio, right. watch the TV. Um, we've given you a list of uh, about 100 movies and <laughs> docos to watch. That should keep you busy in the meantime. Uh, Penny will be back next week. Um, thank you for listening. This has been the World Football Programme. Thank you. Join us again next week at the same time for the World Football Program on Radio Fremantle 107.9 FM.